Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President of Professional and Educational Development at the University of Louisville's Health Sciences Center. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Professional and Educational Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Health Professions Education. Once a week, we'll come together and use this podcast to bring professional and educational development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. We have a really exciting episode today. We're talking with Kent Gardner and David Ayler, who are co-directors for Academic Technology Office, or ATO, for the School of Medicine at the University of Louisville. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. If you're listening, this is definitely going to be an episode that you want to listen to because you may have interacted with Kent and David from their greatest hits, such as setting up your laptop or uh, (laughs) helping you take your class go remote. But we're going to be talking about education technology, which is applicable for almost every listener here. I think a good place to start might be, would you tell us just briefly what your roles are in the School of Medicine? My name is David Ayler. I am the director that is more focused on the operations. My goal every day, uh, day in the life of David, is to walk into work and make sure that our technology is working the right way, but also that it's aligning with teaching and learning pedagogy. And so my day uh, could be filled with more reactive firefighting of the technology, or it could be, and hopefully, it is more of the proactive, which is Uh, on the faculty development side and planning ahead and and making sure that all the different mechanics of the medical school uh, in terms of the technology work. To be a little bit more nuts and bolts, that could be uh, education technology within the lecture halls, uh, within collaboration spaces like huddle spaces, problem-based learning rooms, team-based learning rooms, medical simulation spaces, standardized patients, uh, clinics, really just a a large spectrum of spaces, large spectrum of needs, and uh, certainly a large amount of faculty to support. I was going to say, it sounds like you touch everything, (laughs) David. Ken, how about you? Uh, More the administrative side. Um, I I take care of, uh, we we meet on our budgets, and and David has a lot of input and oversight of that as well, but I take care of a lot of the day-to-day functionality with the budget and keeping track of the, the, you know, how our expenditures are, fighting purchasing through the university system, oh, yeah. <laughs> which is uh, an exciting uh, adventure every day. Uh, things like that. Uh, we, we work collaboratively a lot on classroom design. Uh, more, here's the functions we need to do in this space. And then I'd say David's more our chief design engineer where he goes, okay, well, to make that happen, we need three of these widgets and two of these. We've got a team that we manage jointly, but our assistant director, Ignacio, does a lot of the day-to-day activities. And then I'm sure a lot of people have interacted with uh, both Jimmy West and Robert Peck uh, in the day-to-day activities of running the classrooms. And uh, that's our team that keeps the education going. And then during COVID, it was all hands on deck, you know, 6 a.m. to midnight every day, just making things happen. Your team really is integral to the, the functioning of the, the School of Medicine. We really could not do it without you. Yeah, and more so now than ever, right? Because many of the things that COVID precipitated are still here. Oh, absolutely. So Teams yes. meetings and Zoom meetings have become the norm for many. And uh, some of our conferences have stayed in a virtual mode rather than going back to in-person. Your whole world must have changed dramatically and then stayed changed even now two and a half years later. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we are doing everything in a hybrid format in terms of didactic 
teaching, uh, even our interactive stuff, there can be a hybrid element to it. And we certainly have mandatory in-person encounters, uh, especially in the clinical environment. We had an advantage over a lot of schools that the School of Medicine was already doing hybrid 10 years before COVID. I was in the early fights in the trenches where faculty were very upset about just recording their voice. Uh, or and, being seen on camera. Oh, yeah. Well, then we, yeah, that was the next step. Yeah, but, but it was each one of those was a, was a hurdle that was entrenched. Our students were using First Tegrity and now, nowadays Pedopto to review classes. And we found a lot of exciting things from just, just that, just looking at the data. Uh, students, it's not that they just all skip class. Uh, a lot of them especially medical students are pretty dedicated. They're often sitting down the hallway while the class is going on, but they prefer to be able to interact with it privately or maybe have a conversation with other students about what's going on. And then they review that, that recorded material and we see that they, they fast forward through most of it, but then there might be a five minute section that they play six times. So I'll say from my, my perspective, both, both Stacy and I teach in the Health Professions Education series, and the hybrid courses tend to be the worst. <laughs> like, it is the hardest to do. It can be a challenge, yeah. It, it, yeah. When you're in person, you know, everybody's there. When you're all virtual, everybody's all on the same platform. But hybrid is such a struggle. How, how do you find, or I guess my, my question would be, what challenges do you have from the technology side with facilitating those courses and what could faculty do, what technologies could help them do better? The key is to set expectations for both you, the faculty member, and then also for the learners. Your expectations determine the complexity of the hybrid encounters. For example, uh, our hybrid classes, we use Zoom, and so we have the in-person lecture and the expectation really for the virtual participants is that they're on the call, their camera could be muted, and they're gonna participate in the Zoom chat for the interactive portion. And they may or may not open up their microphone. That's the expectation that's been set. Other faculty members may come in and say, I have the expectation that I wanna see everybody. And so everybody needs to open up their camera. And so all these preferences, they need to be defined at the very beginning and, pl and planning ahead is absolutely key to making sure that hybrid works. Uh, you know, if a faculty member comes into a room five minutes beforehand and says, we need to do hybrid, you know, thankfully we have a large <laughs> staff within my office and we can, we can accommodate on the fly. But I think just speaking more broadly to educators who may be listening to this podcast, the key is to have expectations and define them for both you and your learners. And so that way you can have a positive experience because hybrid, it involves a lot of complexity uh, and it, it certainly takes planning. You have to decide what is the, the strategy of teaching. Or if you're doing an in-person course, you do it one way. If you're doing a fully online course, you do it another. And if you're doing hybrid, you do it yet another. And you have to plan for that from the beginning. If you look at MOOCs, you know, there, there's all kinds of, oh, MOOCs are terrible, MOOCs are terrible. When MOOCs first started, they were amazing. And you want to know why? The people who were excited about MOOCs were the ones who did the MOOCs first. And they planned and, and did it. And tell me, what is a MOOC? Large, multi-person involved classes where they went hugely online with maybe thousands of people. Some of that technology in its early days had amazing results and was doing great. Well, then what happened was you had chairman who looked, you know, David's our, our, our worst teacher and keeps getting the worst reviews. Why don't you do one of those MOOC things? They're real popular. So David took his bad classroom education. He threw it up on, to an audience of thousands. And all you did was take a class that was bad for 30 people and made it bad for a thousand people. And uh, <laughs> you, have to, you have to be intentional about each 
platform you're using and, and what sort of interaction is going to be there. I think that's one of the key messages for, for faculty, certainly at our Health Sciences Center, is that the notion of you simply being able to walk in with your, what was an old slide deck, now a PowerPoint set, is gone. Because planning for how to deal with that, because most are at least going to be hybrid now. You're not going to only have an in-person audience. Planning and doing it in conjunction with people like, like yourselves to make sure that it's the optimal experience for you and for the student so that, so that the work can get done in an effective way. Planning is the key issue now. You can't just show up and have your slides ready that morning and at noon you walk in to give the talk and make demands of well, wait, where's the mic, the camera, the whatever. That's all got to be set ahead. So planning ahead is going to be one of the key things that certainly COVID has pushed us into. But it, it assures for great educational um, environments and technology use. Planning ahead allows for that chief end goal to be achieved, and that, that is learning. And so if we can take care of all the little mechanical things, all the technical things ahead of time, then that is going to support uh, teaching and learning. Certainly a part of the planning process, having the micro-education uh, kind of approach, but also like this podcast. I mean, this is not going to be a micro-education learning experience. You know, this podcast right now you're listening to, I don't know, it may end up being 30 minutes, 40 minutes, but that is a more passive encounter. And yeah. so there needs to be, uh, there needs to be planning in whichever mode, whichever direction, uh, in order for it to be successful. The real strength of tools like soft chalk and rise articulate is uh, asynchronous learning you know it's being able to log in to your the website at any time and and learn and consume the information and you know those tools also have active learning elements to them um, that are really useful and i would say the pandemic uh, speaking within the context of that coming out of that two years ago the technologies that we want to try to promote going forward is anything related to the hybrid uh, model and that's for us, you know, we've been using Zoom and we've been using Microsoft Teams. And so, you know, Zoom, most everybody here has used Zoom. Uh, its strength is live interaction video conferencing. That can certainly be used today going forward. But also Microsoft Teams, it combines both the synchronous and the asynchronous world. And so this idea of classroom continuance or the the learning encounter that you have synchronously it can exist asynchronously before and after and it can continue on and so that's the that's the real strength of microsoft teams and we've found that especially when you get into the the clinical environment in terms of the clerkship rotations and rounds uh, microsoft teams is very conducive to that because you're posting information, you're viewing it when you can in a, in, a, in a hectic clinical environment, and then you're able to respond when you can, but then you also have the option of the synchronous uh, video. So you're saying since Teams, you know, compared to something like Zoom, you can save all of the, the files, so you, the recording is there, it's all living in that single team, is that what you're... Yes, you're it continues on, it, it exists, it is there. So you're, you're, you know, Teams has, just to be very concrete, it has chat capabilities, um, it has file sharing capabilities with multiple levels of permissions. Um, it has polling capabilities. It has multiple integrations for third-party um, applications. And so anything that you could think of as an educator, any sort of tool that you may be used to using in, in a learning management system, it is likely available to you in Microsoft Teams. 
And so you can plug all these tools in. I want uh, faculty to know that Microsoft Teams is more than just the video encounter. It is a ecosystem. It's almost like a learning management system. Um, I guess my question, my follow-up question for both of you then would be, what's your favorite add-in or tool in Teams that we're not using? Microsoft native tools are the best ones that uh, you that can use. Yeah, well. And integrations you know, that we've used, lots of different polling integrations, um, but now Microsoft has Microsoft Forms so well integrated into Teams that we aren't using as many third-party uh, tools for that. So I would say to faculty members, especially because it can get really overwhelming when you're trying to find all these gizmos and gadgets, is focus on what comes to you native from Microsoft for one, you know, it's probably free to you at the institution that you work at. Uh, and then number two, it's probably easier to use because every tool in the Microsoft environment is going to be a similar feel and structure because it's all based uh, to, be, to be technical. It's all based off of SharePoint or Office 365. Forms is my favorite tool. I mean, that, that's in that suite. You can do so much with it and it's so intuitive. I mean, all the other programs we've had like this in the past were hard, and this is really easy. So what does Forms do, Ken? You can do quizzes, you can do feedback, you can do polling. Virtually anything that you want to ask somebody, whether it be an open-ended question, a, uh, a multiple choice, a true-false, you can put images, you can put anything, and, it, and it's just really easy to use. For live in-person polling, a lot of faculty do prefer the Zoom polling tools, and and they're really good too. It depends on what you're doing. Once again, it is the flow of what you're trying to accomplish. Yes, yeah, so it comes down to planning and, and that will help guide, you know, your selection of the tool. And I imagine right now on the podcast, maybe some educators might be kind of glazing over because we're <laughs> mentioning a lot of different tools and everything. But I think the main thing when we're talking about Microsoft Teams, we're talking about Microsoft 365. We're talking about a whole environment. And so if you or at your institution and you log in to office.com and you click on the nine dots in the upper left hand corner, you will expand into this world of every single Microsoft tool that is there. It is open to educators and, and everything from Microsoft, sure, it's built for the business world as well, but they also have an education focus more than ever. So it sounds like the, the Teams environment may be underutilized in terms of its full capabilities Absolutely, for a yes. lot of people. Uh, it provides flexibility and, and maybe simplicity for organizing it rather than bringing in other tools from the outside. Uh, more likely their interface and their, their uh, working within that environment is more likely to happen than fail because we've certainly seen bringing in other uh, applications into that kind of program and, and it doesn't always work. So flexibility for the faculty in one place, but also flexibility for the learners. So that's what we're learning that in the online environment and in the hybrid environment, they want the flexibility to not have to be in that room, maybe down the hall in a group that's studying the, the area that, that's being lectured about, or to look at it tonight at 10 o'clock at night. Um, when you do get a chance to look at the lecture that got done or whatever. So the asynchronous and synchronous virtual world provide great flexibility for the learners as well. And that's what we're learning about in the online learning world is that they want flexibility. They want the ability to get it when they can or want to get it. And that's, that's a powerful thing because our goal is to do learning, not teaching for learning here. What do you think the future is gonna look like for medical students? 
I think we're in a hybrid world right now until VR completely eclipses it. And, uh, and we're going to spend most of our educational time and a great deal of our just day-to-day life in a virtual environment or an augmented environment. Yeah. And uh, Can you describe the difference for audience members that might not understand that nuance? Yeah, the two tools, just to point out, would be Oculus is the, the VR and the Microsoft HoloLens would be AR. But VR is virtual, virtual reality, reality, augmented reality. Augmented reality is, uh, there's a lot of apps where you can hold up your phone Say you're in a foreign country, you can hold up your phone and it will read all the street signs in English, okay. uh, things like that. You're, you're looking at the actual street, but it's translating everything. That would be a, a, a type of augmented reality. Virtual reality, you're walking down the street, but it happens to be on Mars and you decide you're gonna fly up to the top of the mountain. You're, you're, it's, it's limitless, it's whatever, it's a completely virtualized environment. That's the gamification of it to one side, but the day-to-day practicability of that is huge. I mean, we already use simulation and standardized patients uh, to a great deal in medical education, uh, if that becomes virtualized, there's a lot of hurdles that that overcomes. Uh, the, you know, the training of the standardized patients, wow. the incredible cost of the, the simulator mannequins, uh, things like that. So I think that you're going to see a lot of medical education move into the virtual environment and other forms of education, of, of course, as well. I mean, can you imagine taking a history class and you just walk down the streets of Rome, you know, in, in, in during Augustine's reign right. and just look around? You know, it, you don't have to read 48 chapters on, you know, the, the culture of Rome at that time. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Kent, you mentioned medical simulation. I mean, we're already using VR uh, in that environment, uh, our medical simulation, um, Paris Simulation Center uses ShareCare U, and they use 3D VR anatomy, uh, as well as the Oxford Medical uh, Simulation software. And uh, so some of that software is used for anatomy, and then some of it is more of uh, actual case-based uh, medical education. And so from our standpoint, in our department, that's how we are embracing VR now. But I think, you know, going forward, we're definitely going to see it propagate into every aspect of education. So I never had VR or AR uh, growing up, or I guess going through school. And it feels like it feels like it would be gaming to me. It's something that is just like, oh, I don't know how to, that's not my thing. I don't know how to do that. And I feel like there's probably a lot of faculty out there who are the same. And if you don't know about it, you don't know how to even think about starting to integrate it into your classroom or even how it would be applicable to you as a faculty member. How, how would you suggest faculty even start? Great timing on this because we've just started <laughs> an uh, augmented reality and virtual reality group that is planning a conference here uh, on the HSC campus for the first part of next year. The Cornhauser Library has already made commitment to some space and some resources on virtual reality in the library once this team kind of we, we're calling in everybody everybody's got a little piece of vr here and there around the university we're trying to get everybody on on one page and talk about which ones are effective and pick winners and losers within the university and then try and invest strategically on uh you know i'm not saying we're going to be able to come to a common solution for everything but where you know if, if a piece of hardware works for everything let's use that piece of hardware and, uh, and get faculty used to these sorts of things. We're gonna have a vendor fair attached to this conference and part of the idea is to bring in vendors to not just show us stuff for a day, but we've actually asked our vendors, things you can leave with us for a month so that if I do get excited about you know this product, I can take it with me uh, for, for a couple of days and play with it and see, see how it does or doesn't work in my class. That's really exciting.
Yeah, also just speaking, you know, more broadly to educators out there, the best way to get to know VR and AR is to embrace the consumer electronics market. I mean, you can get a VR headset for, you know, as little as $300 these days. And that, I mean, you know, I know I'm a young man, but I also went through school without VR. And uh, it wasn't until my kids, you know, were like, hey, dad, you know, I've, I've got this game that my friends are playing, you know, and so I bought an Oculus and... Turns out I searched the app store and there's tons of medical uh, apps there, education apps, uh, of not just medical education apps. I mean, we're talking education apps are starting to populate the, uh, the app stores and, you know, a lot of them are free to download or they're pretty low cost. And so that's what I recommend for faculty. If you're curious about VR and AR, um, it's starting to become very affordable and you can explore what's out there right now uh, just, you know, by ordering something on Amazon. Our job is to help faculty develop their skills, whether it's teaching and learning skills, leadership skills, and we've, not, we've done nothing to date to deal with this coming VR, AR possibility as an educational tool um, so learners can learn better with it. We have a lot of work to do to be able to get ourselves up to speed as to what these technologies are and, and how they might be useful, and then to bring that forward in conjunction with you to tell that story. And so I could see a partnership where as you develop this ARVR group that we could be working together to be able to take this to the general faculty because you're going you're gonna to take the early adopters and they're going to love it and then it's going to be fine for them. But... What about the 95% of the others? How do we get them on board and move them along over the next few years? So I think we personally need to commit to learning about VR, AR, so we can at least understand the language and the potential for uh, how this might help us. We always ask our guests to give our listeners uh, like a call to action. So after they hear this episode, what's what's one thing they can do next week after after they hear you talk about education technology? The one that I would urge uh, faculty to do is Teams, the platform has actually radically changed from our first exposure to it in 2020. It, it has grown. So if you just know about Teams from what you saw in 2020, go back and look at it again and see about the different tools and, and, and think about how it could work in your class. And the other thing, I would like you to think about tools, uh, as David was pointing out, an ecosystem, he used that word. Think of Teams as this thing that, oh, by the way, happens to also have a video conferencing mode. It is not a video conferencing software. Uh, Teams is, is a toolbox. Video conferencing is just a hammer within the toolbox. So if you could frame that as a faculty member and reinvestigate Teams, I think you, you do yourself a service. Yeah, and that was actually going to be the same takeaway that I wanted to mention as well. Uh, everyone needs to rediscover Microsoft Teams. I mean, we all know that technology changes so rapidly. And uh, a lot of these, you know, companies, whether it be Teams or Slack or whatever the productivity tool that's out there, whatever you saw, you know, early on in the pandemic that maybe you got sick of, even <laughs> maybe you got really tired of, there's been, you know, billions of dollars invested into those platforms. And so rediscover it and see how it can add value uh, to the learning experience. Because that's, that's the ultimate goal is that, you know, students learn and technology is a tool to help you achieve that that chief end of learning. Kent and David, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming by. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. It was a fun experience. Thank, Thank you all so for, much having, for us. having us. Next time on Faculty Feed, we're going to talk with John Chenault, 
John will share with us his insights on the crisis in biomedical research and publishing that has led to incorrect and even falsified information appearing in the medical literature. If you want to up your game or enhance your skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be. As together, we strive to make the University of Louisville a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to discover and connect. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional resources about today's episode. And feel free to contact us at factfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more and come hungry.